Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we'll be deep diving into Northanger Abbey chapters 24 through 27. Yes, I loved these chapters. Oh, and we have a special guest, <laughs> our normal special guest. Um, Kristen Smith is with us again. Hello. <laughs> so anxious to start talking. <laughs> <laughs> I think after, what is it, six times now, it's, it could just be... Just here. You're the part of the crew now. <laughs> um, well, um, yeah, I was. I, I just wanted to start with first impressions because I was re-listening to these chapters today and I was just laughing and just so hard. Like I teared up because of how much I loved Catherine and Henry at one point. I was like, these are just hitting me in the right spot today, especially. Mm. So um yeah I would say I love these chapters <laughs> <laughs> me too I thought it was they were like really funny I feel like we were like going on a roller coaster because and we were like really feeling Catherine's emotions of like mm-hmm. all the shame and all like silliness and the, the shock when she gets the letters and it was almost like finally she gets the true side of Isabella and it's like thank god <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like so much happens in these chapters it's mm-hmm quite a few Catherine grows up quite a bit yeah yeah <laughs> what was your first impression Kristen uh I just feel so painful for Catherine I just feel so bad <laughs> for her but really glad that Henry treats her so well yeah so yes yeah. he's so sweet to her he yeah is. I feel bad for her feeling so bad for mm-hmm. what she's thinking but I also <laughs> I'm like well it's really not that bad <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was really struck during these chapters on how neither of the adaptations really, I think, properly portray what's going on in this little section, you know? It's always heightened for the sense of drama, and they take out a lot of Henry's best parts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a long time since I watched those. When we're done, I'm going to go back. Oh, definitely. I've been kind of holding off since we started, but uh, I love both of the adaptations. And I found out there is um, a modern adaptation, which I never knew about, called Ruby in the Smoke, I think. It's got Ashley Judd. That's based uh, on this? Yeah. I know go, the title, I never but watched I, it. I haven't seen it, yeah. We'll have, huh. to act- we'll have to add that to the list. I, it might already be on my big master list of things to cover <laughs> someday, but <laughs> I forgot about it. <laughs> All right, well, should we get into the notes then? Yes. I almost didn't do notes for this one because I can't find notes for this one anymore, but I was doing the deep dive and I had so much information. I came across this one article that was about, um, well, I did the deep dive on Henry, so I'll say that, but um, <laughs> It was about Henry and being um, in the clergy, but what I found most interesting was how it related to Jane Austen and her ideas of the clergy, or of prayer, I guess. The article is called, The Reverend Henry Tilney, The Reverend Hen- oh my God, The Reverend <laughs> Henry Tilney, Rector of Woodston by Irene Collins, and I found it on jasna.org. So um, in this article, it was saying that Jane Austen's favorite sermon writer was a man named, an archbishop named named Thomas Sherlock. 
and he wrote something called On Self-Examination, where he talked about something called secret sins, which he described as sins committed in ignorance, sins we have fallen into through habit, and sins we have simply forgotten. And he said that those seemingly trivial, they may have done harm to others without one's knowledge. Mm. Thinking ill of a fellow creature was particularly mentioned. And he warned that for every idle word, how soon soever it slips from our memory, for every vain imagining of our heart, how soon soever it vanishes away, we shall give an account on the day of judgment to avoid so serious a climax. We should review our conduct at the end of each day and ask God to forgive whatever he had seen amiss in it. So this was um, Jane Austen's favorite sermon person. <laughs> sermon writer? <laughs> sermon person. That's what they call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jane Austen actually seems to have taken this advice to heart. Because in the prayers that she wrote for the family when they were all living at Chawton, which I think is the cottage she lived at later in life, mm-hmm. um, there are petitions asking for God's forgiveness for secret sins. And they are the only kinds of sins that she mentions in these prayers. She, um, I've got a few quotes. So teach us to understand the sinfulness of our own hearts and bring to our rem- and bring to our remembrance every fault of temper and every evil habit in which we have indulged. We have perhaps sinned against thee and against our fellow creatures in many instances of which we have no remembrance. Pardon, O God, whatever thou hast seen amiss in us. So those are actually like several different ones that are all just <laughs> I didn't put them together. proper and in between. But um, so those are the examples of the kinds of prayers she had. So it's all about like self-examination, really. It's like early psychology. (laughs) So, okay, a little context. When England gave up Catholicism, they, of course, got rid of confession before a priest. So that's when private confession became urged. And there are several manuals you could purchase to assist in this. We know that Jane Austen received one of these when she was 18, the William Vickers Companion to the Altar. And according to her family, she made constant use of the devotions contained in it, one of which was a prayer of heavenly light by which to detect secret sins. And in Northanger Abbey, Catherine Moreland, we're told, was vouchsafed not a ray of heavenly light, but a ray of common sense. So it seems like she (laughs) took directly from this sermon that she was reading at the time she was writing this. So (laughs) I don't know if that's just like a commentary on it, on this sermon that she's reading, because instead of a ray of heavenly light, it's a ray of common sense for Catherine. (laughs) Well, that's what she needed, right? Yeah, which is actually perfect because this is like Jane Austen's being brought up in the Enlightenment, and that's kind of the whole idea of the Enlightenment, you know, like more common sense, like using sense as opposed to superstition, right? Uh, Here's a little bit more about just clergy in general to put Henry in some context. So when the novel was written, Northanger Abbey, there was no law obliging clergymen to live in their parishes. And when a law was passed in 1808, which, you know, was before it was published, it was still difficult to enforce enforce because at least the third of the parishes had no parsonage fit for clergymen to live in. So they were like dilapidated. And then also a third of the clergy in England held more than one parish. So it was just impossible for them to live in them at all times. And some clergy never saw their parish from one and then like a whole year could pass, but they would never see their parish. 
But Henry, on the other hand, is very conscientious because he, not only does he employ a curate who is kind of like an assistant, I think, mm-hmm. like an assistant um, to help with the people, um, which he would have had to pay for out of his own pocket. He also spends at least half his time at home. And we hear about him going home at least one weekend to preach. So he's definitely a good example of the time period mm-hmm. of clergymen. So uh, I don't know if that was a little, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Some yeah. little peek into Jane Austen's mind. And, you know, I know she, everyone was religious at the time. She was religious, but it feels from that, that she was like more into the whole idea of self-examination and what's in your heart and how you feel about people. And like, you know, just the bad thoughts you have about them and how you should probably like recognize that <laughs> so that they don't become your normal mode of thinking. Right. You think that's basically what it is? <laughs> yeah. I, would, I mean, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, her dad was a, uh, yeah. Rector or whatever. So, and you get yeah. the impression that he took it, you know, he was thoughtful and she's oh, clearly yeah. thoughtful and they took it seriously. So, yeah. Yeah. I think religion is really interesting in Jane Austen's work because she has so many examples of good and bad, like members of the clergy and the way people behave. And it was just an interesting time where we were kind of like people were a little less, I think they were becoming a little less religious and more, I don't know, you know, the, we'll have to cover the enlightenment at some point just to like put that into context a little bit. So I don't know if I can have, do a good job of <laughs> explaining it. I think there was there was an increasing like division between people who are just going through the forms and people who are taking it seriously. So like if you think back to Tudor times, Stuart times, you know, as they're splitting from Catholicism, it's like the government's quote unquote business, you know, what you're doing and whether you're going to church and stuff. And you could be, you know, fined, burned, whatever, depending on who was in charge, if you were going to the wrong if you belong to the wrong religion or you didn't go to church, you could be fined. Um, right. And I believe I'm correct in, in my assumption that those kind of uh, punitive laws were decreasing at this point. So you could just sort of, you know, pay a, I don't know, pay a few pounds every year and you'd be fine. You didn't have to go at all or whatever. And they didn't really care. Um, so it was really coming into some stark contrast as to people who would just do what they needed to keep the law off their backs versus people who really believed what they right. said. And I yeah. mean, Henry makes a comment here about we're a Christian nation. And I think that's, yeah, it means something different than <laughs> that it would mean to us now. Um, you know, so, yeah, and it definitely. meant something different than it would have meant for them 300 years earlier. So, Yeah. yeah. It was a really interesting time period. Okay, so we start with chapter 24. So it's the next day from where we left off. It's a Sunday, <laughs> she points out to us. <laughs> Catherine had not gotten a chance to explore Mrs. Tilney's rooms yet because the general had his routine, which consisted of going out or eating cold meat at home. (laughs) (laughs) And 
she's very curious, but she just wasn't brave enough to try it at night or like twilight when it's scary. <laughs> when they went to church, she did notice a monument to the mother or Miss, Mrs. Tilney, I should say, near the family pew. And Catherine was amazed that the general could even enter the church with it there, <laughs> let alone sit completely with it in full view. <laughs> she thinks the guilt must be killing him, unless he's as heartless as some of the characters in her novels. And she starts to suspect that when they had the funeral for Mrs. Tilney, that it was a sham and they could have just put a wax duplicate in there. <laughs> 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 uh, okay she's almost at the height of her insanity <laughs> <laughs> so when um the general finally goes out for a walk the next day Catherine asks eleanor to show her the portrait of her mother and that's in eleanor's room she's just trying to try to butter her up like we'll get to the bedroom but i'm gonna start with just the picture <laughs> So they go to Eleanor's room and Catherine is looking at it and she thought she, when she looked at it, she was like, I really thought that she would look more like you or Henry, but she doesn't really seem to look that much like you <laughs> unless she looked really hard. And then uh, they go to Mrs. Tilney's suite of rooms and she was just about to, I guess, shut the door to hide them when she sees the general out of the corner of her eye. And he yells at the top of his lungs for Eleanor to come. And that terrifies Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor uh, rushes out to meet her father. And Catherine runs to her room and hides for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> She's afraid to go out again until she sees like a carriage with company arriving. And she figures, well, he can't um, yell at me while company's here. So I guess I should go to him. <laughs> <laughs> but when she gets downstairs, everything seems fine. Eleanor implies that her father only needed her to answer a note, and Catherine is relieved <laughs> that the evening seems fine, and neither she nor Eleanor seem to be in trouble, and she decides that the next time she's going to go explore those rooms alone, because she just can't bear to make Eleanor unhappy or to get her into trouble on her account, plus mm -hmm. she won't be able to stoop properly if Eleanor's there. <laughs> <laughs> She can't root out all the nefarious intentions if she's got someone who shouldn't know the nefarious intentions with her. Okay, so she knows exactly where the rooms are by now. She's got it memorized. And she's feeling brave. The general's out, so she does it. And she doesn't even let herself think about it. And as <laughs> quiet as she can be, as she tiptoes into the room. <laughs> and when she enters, she sees a nice big room with a heated bath that looks really cheery and she really thought it would be spooky and old so it's kind of a wake-up call to her in that moment <laughs> is really when she starts to make the realization that she's really gone over the top <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I she just she kind of discovers it on her own here by herself yes yeah, um does. not even um mrs tilney's last book remained on the table so she can't even <laughs> see what she was reading when she died since she decided she's over it, she didn't even want to look in the closet. She's like, ah, I worked myself into this lather and it's like just a normal room for a normal person. And it doesn't even look like a dead person used to live here. <laughs> she's she, um, is trying to leave and she hears like a door slam and then she thinks it's the general's. So she hides and then she hears the door close again. So she kind of sneaks out as much as she can. 
but as soon as she opens the door, she hears the door slam and someone rushes up the stairs to her and lo and behold, it's Henry. So she's like embarrassed, but relieved kind of, I guess, because the general is not the general. They both seem astonished to see each other. Uh, she's very embarrassed and wonders how he came to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, it just happens to be on the way from my room to wherever I'm going. <laughs> um, and he wants to know how she came to be there. And she averts her eyes, but basically admits that she just went in there to see his mom's room. And he's like, why did you go there alone? And she explains about before the general stopping them. And she keeps trying to change the subject. <laughs> and they're kind of talking around it. And um, <laughs> Catherine, for the first time in their acquaintance, kind of wishes he wasn't paying attention to her. <laughs> <laughs> So he asks if she got any letters from Bath, and Catherine is surprised that Isabella hasn't written because she promised to so faithfully. <laughs> and Henry turns this into some more in inquiry about what Catherine was doing in his mother's room. And he seems to be watching her very intently as he's asking her these questions. And she clams up about her motives. And he starts wondering if Eleanor has spoken a lot about the mom. And Catherine is hesitant, or she hesitantly tries to ask about the circumstances of her death. Because she's like, all right, well. <laughs> and then he suspects that she suspects something nefarious in the manner of her death. And she's barely participating in this conversation at this point. But he is like totally reading her like a book. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, knows yeah. exactly what is going through her mind. Because Catherine, I mean, she has a glass face. <laughs> <laughs> so he explains to her that his mother had a sudden seizure that killed her, but it was a complaint that she had suffered from for a while, a bilious complaint. Not sure what bilious is, but it sounds gross compared to seizures. <laughs> <laughs> I always think pus when I hear bilious. I don't know. <laughs> oh, um, my book says uh, a bilious fever was used to describe a severe illness characterized by high fever, vomiting, diarrhea, and often rapid death. Mm. Oh, sounds um, not fun. Worse than bilious. <laughs> yeah, like cholera and typhoid fever are bilious fevers. Oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah. Wow. None of these symptoms add up to me, but <laughs> Jane wasn't a doctor, I suppose. <laughs> But Mrs. Tilney did have at least four doctors attending her the week up to her death. Henry and Frederick were both home, and he can assure Catherine that she got all the care she needed. And Catherine is still slightly concerned about the general's love towards his wife. And Henry assures her that he did love her in his own way. He did value her and was afflicted by her death. And Catherine is very glad of it. <laughs> she said, if he hadn't, it would have been very shocking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Henry realizes how far down the rabbit hole Catherine's brain has gone. <laughs> and he, this is his little speech where he says, he doesn't think something so dreadful could happen these days without people knowing about it. Because, you know, they live in a good Christian society where their neighbors are nosy and it's not <laughs> like you could just kill your wife and get away with it. We have laws against that sort of thing. <laughs> and after he basically lays that off, he's not mean about it, by the way. He's very 
kind, but he's just like, listen, don't work yourself up in a lather because <laughs> <laughs> you're letting your brain get way ahead of you. And Catherine, who already knew that she was making a mistake before this conversation with Henry and was embarrassed from the second she walked out of the door, is now thoroughly embarrassed and runs off crying. <laughs> and <laughs> I think, I, I, I first, let me see what I wrote. I said, honestly, I think Henry took it all very well. He kind of weasels Catherine's suspicions out of her, and she barely even admits to the suspicions during the conversation. And even though he does admonish her for them, he seems a, more amused by her than hurt by that she would think that. Mm. So do you guys agree? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. He handled it very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think for her thinking that her father... <laughs> His father killed her mother. Yeah. <laughs> but she never actually says that. He's just like, no. I know what you're thinking. Probably because I put yeah. that thought in your head to begin with. <laughs> yeah. That might be why he's not angry. He's like, I'll take some responsibility. Well, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's like, I mean, it's natural thought for Catherine to have, you know, as Catherine. And he knows Catherine mm-hmm. pretty well by now. So right. he shouldn't be too surprised that she would think something like this yeah but did you guys since have anything you, else about that chapter oh go ahead Kristen. Yeah, yeah i wanted to say um since you had found that article about um secret sins and you were talking about confession and stuff when you were going through the um the recap it it made me think and i hadn't thought about this before but he's kind of leading her through confession in a way yeah he's helping her to see, you know, and to tell, you know, confess to this thing that she's been thinking and she knows it was wrong. And I think that Austin and and maybe, you know, maybe not all readers would agree with this, but I think that Austin thinks that it's important for Catherine to be able to not hide this thing that she's ashamed of, but to share it with somebody. And that makes it less powerful. And I think that, It's possible that if, you know, she had been able to get away from Henry and sort of hide the thing, not that she could hide anything from Henry, but if, uh, if she had been able to sort of hide this thing, even if they had, you know, if their relationship had gone forward, it, it probably wouldn't have been as good of a relationship, you know, cause they're not being, she's not being honest with him and always hiding this thing. So I don't know. I yeah. think that. Uh, I hadn't thought about that before, so I was glad you, yeah. you found that article. Yeah, that um, I think it was pointing out that this is kind of like one of his most, like you're actually seeing how he might be as like a, is a it a pastor or a priest? Pastor? He's called pastor, yeah. <laughs> pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he seems like he'd be a really good one. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. In that kind of more modern sense of being a pastor, not just reading yes. some sermon that somebody else has written, but actually, you know, interacting with the mm-hmm. the people that you're in charge of. Yeah. 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 Was there anything else, Christian, you had about that chapter? Um, yeah, I would just say, I think it's also like Austin kind of like letting the reader know that, um, cause this was like a, I think this part was a big growing up moment for Catherine mm-hmm. um, and kind of realizing that maybe she was kind of living in this fantasy world where everything was like her novels and, you know, she's not really had to experience real life all that much. And so I think it was like a good moment for where like the Austin was trying to tell the reader to like, to fully like become your true self. You have to like face like 
self-reflection and humiliation sometimes to kind of grow mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. resolve that like almost immaturity in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So chapter 25. <laughs> Oh, I know I was going to say. I was going to say, I really appreciate the fact that Jane Austen lets Catherine realize it on her own before yeah. Harry tells her, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like really her who's doing the growing up. Henry is just kind of supporting and helping her see the light a little bit better. Yeah. Yes. All right. So chapter 25 starts with, um, I, does it say Catherine was completely awakened? Yes. The visions <laughs> yes. of romance were over. <laughs> <laughs> she now sees how foolish she has been uh she cries and she was humbled and this is really her big growing up moment i was wondering if this was considered a build buildings roman narrative Yeah, yeah this would be like i guess one of the major turning points she isn't just upset with herself though she's also depressed that henry knows how silly she was being and she says she hated herself more than she could express she just made me so sad for her. <laughs> she made herself miserable as was possible for about a half an hour. And then when the clock struck five, because she learned punctuality from the journal, <laughs> she went, uh, yeah, she went, she went down to dinner and she could barely speak to Eleanor. And then Henry comes in and he really tries to make her feel better. He's, it says he's more attentive than he's ever been. He's super polite. He's not playing sarcastic games with her right now. He's just (laughs) trying to be super supportive and understanding. And he seems to understand her really well. And I'm like, Henry has totally already fallen for Catherine. I mean, he is well (laughs) and truly hooked by her at this point, I think. Although there is another moment coming up where I'm like, oh, I can just feel it. Okay. So... Catherine is all in her head. She now knows that she wanted to be frightened before she ever even came to Northanger Abbey. And she's blaming the novels that she she read for inflaming her imagination. And she's now beginning to doubt how realistic those novels really were in the first place. (laughs) For her, it's about time. She's not so sure about the rest of Europe. It could be like the novels, but she's pretty sure England is not... (laughs) At least where she's from, it's that's not right. Like that. That's right. <laughs> not too sure about like Scotland and Cornwall right. and stuff, but home counties, you know, they're decent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where I grew up, people don't murder each other. <laughs> uh, not nearly as scary as Miss Radcliffe portrays. And then she starts to realize that among the English in general, there was probably an equal mixture of good and bad or an unequal mixture. There's some sort of a mixture. Everyone has a little good and a little bad. Yeah. And she, even, even Henry and Eleanor might have some bad points against them or, you know, some meanness. I don't know. What's, is there a word I'm missing here? (laughs) (laughs) Imperfection. Imperfection. That's the one. The general, she decides, may have a few more imperfections, (laughs) but he's not a murderer. (laughs) But she still is, I mean, even though she's like, yeah, okay, you're not a murderer, but I still don't think you're perfectly amiable either, you know. She's now resolved to use her good sense, and all she has to do now is forgive herself, which she seems to manage to do over the next couple of days. (laughs) Thanks a lot to Henry being especially nice to her. (laughs) 
she's also afraid that she'll have an aversion to large chess and Japanese style going <laughs> forward in life. <laughs> I'll never be able to see a chest again without remembering. <laughs> so um, she's wondering why she hasn't heard from Isabella. She, she's the only one she even expects to write her because James already said, I'm not going to write. And Mrs. Allen said she couldn't write until she was back home and settled down and blah, 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 blah. And she'd probably forget after that. So um, <laughs> finally, after several days, possibly a week, she arrives to breakfast to find a letter. But it's not from Isabella. It's from James. And it says that everything is now at an end between Isabella and himself. Mm. He left Bath, hopefully never to see Isabella again. She's made him <laughs> miserable forever. And he hopes that she'll be that Catherine will be leaving Northanger Abbey before the engagement between Isabella and Frederick is known because that would be super awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And then he has a last line about, oh, poor John Thorpe. I'm like, God, did you not learn anything, James? You still think John is cool? Oh, he's got such a sensitive heart. What? You live with this man. I... So James, uh, he's really upset. He tells Catherine, beware how you give your heart. And Henry is watching Catherine read this and can tell that something bad has happened because Catherine is an open book. (laughs) But he can't do anything for her because his father comes in. And of course, he doesn't notice a thing. He doesn't know Catherine crying through her supper (laughs) or that she keeps taking out this letter and putting it back in and taking it out and putting it back in. But Henry is noticing, and Eleanor is also noticing. And as soon as she can, Catherine runs back to her room. Unfortunately, when she gets there, the maids are there, so (laughs) she can't stay there. So she's looking around for someplace else to be alone and cry for a while and think about what she's just read. And she sees uh, Eleanor, (laughs) Henry and Eleanor are whispering (laughs) together about her they're like oh my god we're gonna do my Catherine there's something wrong we have to figure it out and they're like listen when you're done crying we're here for you and they let her do her thing and cry in the the library or something for a while and she pulls herself together and she's like I don't know if I should tell them what happened because (laughs) uh, you know she doesn't want Eleanor to feel bad get bad news and Okay, yeah, yeah, she doesn't want to tell them the bad news. Anyway, she comes in. Eleanor is like, did you get some bad news, honey? And um, (laughs) Catherine is like, well, no, nobody's dead. It's fine. Um, It was just for my brother. And after like zero prodding and about two seconds of (laughs) sitting there in silence, Catherine tells the entire story until she's just like, no, just read the letter yourself. And Henry's like, Okay. She's like, no, but there's one line. And he says, well, why don't you just read it aloud? And she's like, no, I'm stupid. That line is fine. You can read it. It's just James trying to look out for me. <laughs> I love this part. This is my favorite part. So yeah, but I, I actually kind of skipped ahead because Catherine is kind of trying to be a little oblique at first and they're not wanting to push her. She wants to know if Frederick is planning on coming home because she's like, well, I'm going to have to leave if Frederick is coming home. And that's when Henry figures it out, basically, he's like, so is this about Frederick and Isabella? And that's when Catherine is like, here's the whole entire story. Here, read the letter. <laughs> so 
Henry reads it and he says he's sorry for it. He doesn't envy Drake as a lover or a son. (laughs) 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 Like, I wouldn't want to face my father bringing Isabella home, and I wouldn't want to be with Isabella, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then Eleanor reads the letter, (laughs) (laughs) and she wants to know, like, does Isabella have any fortune or connections? And Catherine is like, what? I'm she's surprised because the general is always talking like oh it doesn't matter how much money anyone has my kids have plenty of money they can marry whoever you know like money is no object but really he's only thinking about money the whole time (laughs) right and eleanor and henry are like a little shaken by this assessment of their father like what you don't think he cares about money (laughs) (laughs) look around you (laughs) have you not heard every word he's uttered to you (laughs) but Catherine has always just been like oh she just takes it at face value even when she thinks he's a murderer she doesn't (laughs) she still takes what he says believes every word he says (laughs) Eleanor still wonders that Frederick would want someone want to you know marry someone who played so fast and loose with another man's heart and Henry starts to, you know, poke fun again. He's starting to get back in his <laughs> sarcastic manner. Um, Eleanor smirks at her brother. And, oh, oh, you have to read this line if you have it, because this is like my favorite and I realized I didn't write it down. But it's Henry talking about what kind of a man, what kind of a girl Frederick would be bringing home and Eleanor reading it as what kind of a girl Henry is going to bring home when it's, um, yeah, read it, read it, read it. <laughs> Do you have it? it? I have it, Christian. Do you have it? Yeah, you have it. So Henry's talking to Eleanor. um, And he says, it is all over with Frederick indeed. He is a deceased man, defunct in understanding. Prepare for your sister-in-law, Eleanor, and such a sister-in-law as you must delight in. Open, candid, artless, guileless, with affections strong but simple, forming no pretensions and knowing no disguise. Such a sister-in-law, Henry, I should delight in, said Eleanor with a smile. That's the part that made me tear up earlier. (laughs) I was like, oh, he loves her. And Eleanor loves her too. And I was like, I love her too. I love Catherine. And I still see how anyone could not fall in love with Catherine. She's the sweetest girl. (laughs) She is. She's so cute and funny. And she just wears her heart on her sleeve. Catherine, uh, I think she manages to follow that conversation and is surprised to figure out that Isabella is only out for her own profit. Like they have some sort of kind of, yeah, it's like one of the first times Catherine is like, oh, I see the underlying meaning of what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Henry says he feels bad for Catherine losing her best girlfriend. And he actually opens her eyes to the fact that maybe she didn't care as much for Isabella as she thought she did. Cause she, he um, says, Oh, I didn't write that down either. Yeah. She, well, Catherine is like, you know, I don't, I actually don't feel as bad about losing Isabella as I thought I would, you know, I could happily never see her again actually at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry says, you feel as you always do. What, is the most to the credit of human nature. Such feelings ought to be investigated so they may know themselves. I think that's such a nice sentiment. Mm-hmm. And Catherine feels very relieved by this conversation. And that's the end of chapter 25. Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no. I just thought it was a really funny chapter. I just yeah, like I think um, that's my favorite chapter. Yeah. And like when I first read, 
her brother's letter after it was finished and then she was like bursting into tears at the table and fidgeting with it i was like drunk like <laughs> the dramatics must run in the family because <laughs> it seems like the most over the top like the fact yeah, that her friends had asked her like did someone die <laughs> but she was like no <laughs> well it's like the worst so thing that's funny. ever happened to her <laughs> even though it didn't even happen exactly. to her it happened to her brother exactly and her brother i was thinking when i when he was when i was reading his letter i was like you your whole family <laughs> like you're just as naive i can't yep. believe you let isabella string you along for this long and she was just like oh no don't be silly i'm not flirting with frederick until i don't even know what happened for him to be like no i guess isabella thought that frederick was actually gonna propose to her because that would be yeah. the only way she'd be like yeah we can mutually split up yeah <laughs> i also um <laughs> I like how after she found out, like, it felt like her, maybe her underlying, she under, like, unconsciously, like, understood what the kind of person that Isabella was because she didn't seem very upset to lose Isabella as a friend as mm-hmm. much as she was hurting for her brother. Yeah. Well, she kind of already had started to, like, see a little under the surface of Isabella yeah. right before she left. And then she didn't hear from her at all when she said she was going to write. And I guess this was just like, oh. I guess I was wrong at the beginning. It's always so disappointing when you realize someone you thought was your like a good friend and you're like, oh, you're not who I thought you were. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the first time it happens, you know, when you're still young and you have best friends. I think I found an article about best friends that had to do with Northanger Abbey. Maybe I should look for that one for next week because, you know, like a girl best friend friendship is such like a, like just almost like your first love, you know? Mm And they almost always break up and it's always dramatic or not, or it just leaves you with a weird thing to think about for the rest of your life. Okay. So chapter 26. So Henry, Eleanor, and Catherine start talking about this situation a lot. As they do, Catherine begins to realize that if Isabella isn't good enough for her brother, then she probably isn't good enough for Henry, which is a sad realization. She's like, oh, well... If Isabella, who's basically, you know, about as poor as I am, can't be with Frederick, then what makes me think I could ever be with Henry? Um, Because they're like talking, you know, father would hate it and Frederick would never even tempt it. She doesn't really think like the general's going to throw her out or anything, but she thinks he should know the story about Frederick. And Henry says, no, only Frederick can tell his story. (laughs) And they keep waiting for some word from Frederick. I feel like they're even like, is this going to happen? They're, even Henry and Eleanor are starting to be like, huh, you know, maybe. We don't know. It could be. <laughs> the general is still being just as obnoxious as usual. And he one day proposes they all go to Henry's house to visit. <laughs> and... He's like, we're just going to surprise you there one day. And then they managed to find the exact second that they will all be arriving <laughs> throughout the course of the conversation. <laughs> Hold on. Sonora, you cannot scream while I record your podcast. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Sonora. <laughs> she wasn't the loudest guy on earth. Okay, where was I? Oh, yeah. He's proposing a trip to Henry's house. He's like, I don't want you to go out of your way, Henry. And 
then he like immediately goes through all the obligations that Henry's going to have on Monday and he's going to have the next day and, oh, we'll do it on Wednesday and we'll leave it this time. So it takes exactly <laughs> this amount of time to get there. We'll be there at Wednesday at 10 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and Catherine is bounded with joy. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, of course, Henry has to leave a couple of days early to prepare for this visit. Yeah, so everything can visit. go well. <laughs> yeah, prepare for the surprise visit. It's, Catherine is actually surprised. She's like, well, the general, she still doesn't really, she still <laughs> wants to take the general at face value. She's like, the general, he said, don't go out of your ways. And Henry's like, I wish I could reason like you do. <laughs> but I know <laughs> what my dad really wants. And he wants it uh, to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine is still doing a lot of thinking about the general. Um, she's not wondering if he's a murderer anymore, but she still can't reconcile the things he says with what he actually expects from people because he right. seems to expect a lot more than he says he expects. And she's kind of sad without Henry there. Uh, she's getting bored with the Abbey. She's like, this is, <laughs> I thought it was going to love this place, but it's not spooky. It's not scary. It's all, uh, I'm just, without Henry here, it's no fun. <laughs> that makes her remember, you know, that she was a dummy and now she's just like, oh, all I want is just a little parsonage somewhere, somewhere like Woodston. <laughs> <laughs> well, also like her own home because, you know, she's thinking back, like, I think she's just homesick at this point. She's like, this has been a whirlwind and I'm sick of being at Abbey. I want to be in a nice little parsonage where I'm used to. But it's like completely different from when she first went to the Abbey, right? Where she's, where she yeah. was saying... Oh, your brother must must hate going to Woodston to be at this stupid parsonage when he could be at the Abbey. And now yeah. it's completely the opposite. <laughs> Little Catherine growing up. <laughs> okay, so they all drive the 20 miles to Woodston, which seems like a good distance. Like, no one's going to, like, just pop in on you unexpected like the general said he would <laughs> because 20 miles is a really long way to go, especially in those days. I imagine it took probably, like, three or four hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah he so. said, what did he say? Two hours and a quarter. Oh, two hours and three quarters. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so they get there. Catherine thinks it's beautiful, even though the general is like apologizing for it the whole time. And Henry greets them with several dogs, including a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love you even more, Henry. <laughs> How can you ever want to go to the Abbey when you have a house full of dogs? <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine is too happy to even take much notice of what's around her honestly the general wants her to compliment the place but Catherine's just so full of happiness she can barely get out any words of compliment so she just lets him drone on they tour the place she notices how especially clean Henry's room is which is funny because when they toured the abbey his room was a mess so I'm guessing he cleaned it up especially because he knew she was going to be touring <laughs> Um, and she really loves this drawing room and she loves it so much that the general is excited that she loves it and is like oh well we'll have to make this place nice and Catherine gets really uncomfortable and shuts <laughs> up after that she's like I can't compliment anything because oh I don't want to be have that much power or whatever <laughs> be the center of attention <laughs> yeah so uh, the general is really like heavily like oh you're gonna be the wife of this place really soon he doesn't come out and say it but he's really implying it the whole time yeah Catherine is so full of happiness oh no no no. yeah Catherine tries not to express any more opinions 
So then they play with some puppies and have a great rest of the day and and a little nod to psychological time. She says, a day has never passed more quickly. <laughs> Eleanor and Henry are shocked by how what a good time the general seems to be having. He ate so much food, which he never does when he goes out. <laughs> and by the end of the day, she's Catherine is pretty convinced the general wants me to marry Henry, but she's not as convinced that Henry wants to marry her. Although I'm convinced. <laughs> I say everyone is except for her. Well, it's hard to uh, convince yourself of something like that, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like 16 years old. Yeah. <laughs> You don't want to be disappointing yourself. Yeah. And that's the end of chapter 26. Anything else about that one? Did you like seeing Henry's house? Um, I find it so funny that how, like, how much Catherine is unable to really see the general for, like, who he is. Because this whole time, all of his, like, boasting on about all these things and, like, showing her all these things and telling her all these little little quips is that because he's trying to, like, impress her and kind of steer her in the direction of being with Henry and she always just kind of takes it not the entire like direct way like I think he, at one point he compliments that all this room needs is just the woman's touch and she's just like okay like you know, it's like <laughs> hello <laughs> yeah yeah it's like um because the general never just is direct in what he wants to say she it's like this whole time she's, she knows there's something off about what he's saying and how it doesn't match what he's doing. And that's what led her to think he was a murderer in the first place. But, and even though she doesn't think he's a murderer anymore, she still is like not able to like figure out that he is saying one thing and meaning a different thing. Although right. she does seem to figure out that the general's like, yeah, you're the one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I made this comment, I think before, cause I'm, currently watching Downton Abbey I think I made the comment about like um Matthew and Mary about the way they talk to each other and how everything yeah. is like on these like little like witty sayings and indirect like phrases and how like I feel like it's more of like an upper class thing and maybe she's just not used to yeah everyone being <laughs> indirect and just being like well you got to work for it it's probably <laughs> something about education you know like in school you learn mm-hmm. how to talk circles around people to prove that you're smarter than them (laughs) and that proves that you're more you're wealthier because you're more educated and Mm. Catherine didn't even like the schooling she got (laughs) trying to get out of it every turn (laughs) but she's still smart she just doesn't know Mm -hmm. how to I mean plus it's so not in her nature (laughs) yeah I mean it's like um her brother's the same way right so uh it's just kind of like you get the impression that their family's just like that. They say what they mean. You know, her parents yeah, are right. like, what was it at the beginning? Her parents were like, you're such a silly person, Catherine. And, you know, <laughs> nobody called her pretty because, you know, nobody's going to yeah. tell you pretty lies, I guess. <laughs> just tell you that what they really think. And that's what they're used to. Yeah. Wow. I was thinking about, you know, the last section, there was that one part where she was talking about learning to love flowers and how she never <laughs> loved flowers before. And I was like, you know, that makes sense with the tomboyishness that we knew about you in the beginning where you're like, mm-hmm. I hate all girl stuff. <laughs> I like playing <laughs> sports, <laughs> stickball. <laughs> yeah. But I love how, how homey, just last thing, Woodston. Um, I just love how homey it is. It's just so 
I don't know, realistic and friendly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I even put it in the deep dive, but there was some stuff about like how the house itself reflects on Henry and the fact that it's like a stone house, which means it's there with roots to stay in the community and how they did improvements, which is good for the neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so there's a lot of stuff about the house I kind of glossed over. That's, you know, really reflective, reflecting good on Henry. Yeah. I think I might rather live there than live in Pemberley, to be honest. Uh, yeah, Yeah, I would think, (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, I've toured some of those grand, like the Biltmore Estates and some of those yeah. grand houses, and they're really awesome to tour, but it's a lot to live up to. Too much. Can, I have like way too many rooms in my house, and I, I'm like, oh, I don't need all these rooms. I never even go yeah. in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't this even imagine like living in a house like that. We have yeah. to have scores of servants just to keep it clean. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I think I feel like Catherine is kind of having that same revelation because she was so excited to go to the Abbey and was like, oh, it's going to be this grand spooky adventure, like larger than life. And then she gets there and it's like, it's basically, she's like, it's like a normal place, but with a lot more work to do, (laughs) like a lot more work about it. And it's like almost exhausting for her. And she's like, I'm so happy to be back in normal people areas. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how I felt when I went to, um, California I like drove across to California and there's so much desert in between and so much flat land with nothing like plains and or dramatic huge mountains that I was like I just want Mm -hmm. flat green Florida (laughs) (laughs) like I don't know there's just gonna new environments can overwhelm your senses and Mm -hmm. you're just like I just want Mm -hmm. normal yeah is there anything else before I move on all right chapter 27 okay so this chapter is basically just a letter from Isabella and it goes on, man. I was like writing, I was recapping and going, didn't I already write this? Is she just repeating the same things over and over again? <laughs> um, so Isabella writes, she's like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> she's about to leave Bath and she now hates everything about Bath. She's flattering Catherine. She's telling her that she wants to, she wants Catherine to fix things up between Isabella and James. She says that Captain Tilney is a man who she abhors above all others. <laughs> She's glad he's gone. And oh, of course she knew from the very beginning that he was the worst, but he <laughs> followed her around so much. But then suddenly he just started hanging out with a different girl altogether. And she's regretting James going away She's afraid that he took something in her conduct amiss. <laughs> yeah, you think? He broke up with you, girl. <laughs> Mutually, from what he said. She can't even shut up in this letter. She's just uh, so rambling on. She's, she's I think she's talking about desperate. how she's like, yeah, definitely desperate. She's like talking about how she's, I wouldn't let the gossips let me down though. So I still put on a brave face and went out to town and she's reminiscing. She starts reminiscing about going out with Tilney on the town. Yeah. And then she starts crying about James again, but Catherine is not fooled anymore. She's actually ashamed of having ever loved her. <laughs> she sees straight through her falsehoods. And um, of course she tells the Tilneys everything. So she gets the letter. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they walk in and she's, She's really grown up. She wishes 
She had never known Isabella, and Henry says, it will soon be as if you never had. (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine is still confused about Frederick's motives in the whole matter. And Henry's like, I'm not sure, but I think it's probably vanity. I don't think he ever really cared about Isabella, and he is probably only up to mischief. And Catherine is like, well, I don't like him at all. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) but I don't like your brother. (laughs) Exclamation point. Henry, it seems like Henry knows that if Isabella had been a better person, then Frederick probably wouldn't have messed with her. Like, he kind of knew that she was up to no good, and he just played her. And Mm -hmm. Catherine's like, well, I still don't like him. I can't think the absolute worst of him because he's your brother, but... (laughs) 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 That's the end of that section. It's almost like Isabella got played by, like, Frederick at her own game. And it's like... But it's so funny to me, like, how she can't help but be herself because even, like, reading the letter where she gets to the part about going out to the shows and wearing the turban, she can't help but compliment <laughs> herself on how great her turban was and how this other girl tried to do a turban, but it just wasn't as great as mine. And <laughs> and then she tries to, like, make, Cather- uh, make Catherine, like, feel bad for her because she's like, I'm wearing purple, and you know how ugly purple looks on me, but I'm wearing it because it's your brother's favorite, favorite color. And she's <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> like, roll your eyes, girl. I know. I feel like that's really the last we really see of Isabella. And it's like such a like, you know, for the first half of the book, it was all like, well, I don't know. She seems fun. And then it's like, but she's really annoying. And then it's like, um, I don't know about this girl. And then <laughs> the last thing is just her with all of her worst traits yeah. on display in the form yeah. of a letter that takes almost the entire chapter. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, geez, girl. Oh, but it's so perfect. It's yeah, like that chapter is. in Sense and Sensibility where um Fanny Dashwood and John Dashwood, Fanny's talking John Dashwood into like giving his sisters no money. It's like you hate the character, but oh the the way that Austin does it is just yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It kind of makes me like Frederick just a little that like oh he only did this just because I, I I wonder like did he know that Henry and Catherine were kind of you know a thing did he did he know that the Thorpes were I mean what did he know was he at all caring or was he just like she looks like an easy target so let's get that's this what problem. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like, almost like it could be player. yeah yeah that maybe he had some sort of like intimation of their connection and he was like you know seeing Isabella for who she was and he was like I'm gonna do this guy a favor and (laughs) separate them and that's how I like to think about it but I guess we'll see what happens yeah all right well that is the end of the recap we only have one more section to go can't believe it crazy I know (laughs) and um I guess for now let's oh do we do the deep dive now or do we do deep dive and then favorite moments or favorite no favorite moments now yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think i already gave away what my favorite moment was (laughs) which moment was it um i just really loved i think it was like all of chapter 24 
25 or 20. Uh, yeah, like chapter 25. When Catherine gets a note from James and starts crying uncontrollably and then his Henry and Eleanor come in and like try to comfort her and try to figure out what's going on. And I just love that whole part because I think there are some great lines in it and it just shows how much Eleanor and Henry both care about Catherine and it makes me care. I mean, I feel like I am like, if I was Henry, I would be like, yeah, you're the one. I, and I'm also feeling for Henry during this. It's like, oh, you're the best guy. I don't know. <laughs> I just love them all. <laughs> and I'm a little surprised we haven't gotten any of Eleanor's backstory yet because I know that there is some, but I feel like maybe it's just all at the very end. So <laughs> oh, what are your guys' um, favorite moments? I would say mine is after Catherine's read, basically her reading uh, Isabella's letter and then her reaction afterwards. Because, like, we don't have to have this moment where she has to, like, be led into realizing it. She just is immediately like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, this girl's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just, like, nice a good moment to, like, like grow up. And, like, it's yeah. just, like, okay, she's, like, really becoming her own, finally. Yeah. What's your favorite moment, Kristen? Do you have one? Um, I don't know. It's hard. I, I love that letter. Just the craftsmanship in it. I love her reaction to it. That's... <laughs> So satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, I mean, not that it's a special moment exactly, but I guess just Henry's care for Catherine, forgiveness of Catherine, and then care for her after he's sort of shown her how she was being an idiot. And oh. just, you know, that's so kind, you know, and, yeah. and Catherine is, we love Catherine. Henry you know, I kind of go back and forth on him sometimes. He's always funny. Sometimes he is a little too clever for his own good. Kind of <laughs> likes the sound of his own voice too much. But he's also incredibly just kind to her. Yeah. And he and he has a puppy, so that's yes, definitely <laughs> point in his favor. So. Several good good chapters for Henry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I agree. I love I just the whole section was like. Probably my favorite part of the book so far. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, that's what I was going to say. I love that all the characters, just like um, Catherine is beginning to realize herself, have a little... Everybody has flaws. Catherine has flaws. Henry has flaws. We've seen everybody have flaws. We've seen everybody have good moments, too. Even, like, Isabella. And I don't know if we saw any good moments from John Thorpe, but... <laughs> 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 I mean, he's nice to her brother, I guess. But um, yeah, I just love how well-rounded the characters end up being, even when they're kind of mm -hmm. caricature-ish, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's do our deep dive. This is a long one because we're getting to the end, so I'm doing the bigger characters. Um, and Henry Tilney is a pretty big one. <laughs> <laughs> so... I got a couple of articles. Um, yeah, the first one I was reading was called Henry Tilney Portrait of a Portrait of the Hero as Beta Male by Peter W. Graham, which was a really interesting article. So Henry where, Tilney, he's where did you find that one? Because it sounds familiar. That one was also on Jasna. That's in Persuasions as well. Okay. Yeah. I don't know which ones are in Persuasion. I don't know. I usually just <laughs> Well, I always go to Jasna and look. Yeah, Persuasions is the Jasna 
publication. So, hmm. yeah, that's the name of it. Yeah, they definitely have the best articles on Jess. <laughs> yeah. Did I say Peter W. Graham? Okay. Yeah. So Henry Tilney, he's the second son of landed gentry. The middle child, he's age 24 or 25. He's a clergyman in holy orders, quote, unquote. <laughs> he holds a good family living as the rector of Woodston, a populous village about 20 miles north of Northanger, where he lives in a new-built substantial stone house, grounds improved substantially by his father with his three or four dogs. <laughs> <laughs> we never learn exactly how much money uh, the parish makes, but the general claims that his inheritance from him or his inheritance from his mother would be enough for Henry to be financially independent. So, but also I think that the money from the rectory would also be enough. So he's got basically like three incomes that could support him all at the same time. What is that? Oh, it might be me because they're, um, the, the march is downtown and they're marching down oh. Main Street, which is right outside of my apartment. So I'll, okay. I'll put myself on mute. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I can cut your, um stuff oh, so you can come out yeah. all right don't worry about Sorry. it if it's bothering you let me know no it's not i just was like wasn't sure what it was okay so we observe henry almost entirely from Catherine's point of view now this is the article about him being a beta male so it was talking about him in comparison to a lot of the other jane austen characters and it was saying that his wit and verbal play connect him with characters like wickham willoughby and frank churchill and his counterpart as this article argues Henry Crawford. They share a name and they're like kind of <laughs> opposite ends of the same spectrum. But his clerical position connects him to Mr. Collins, Mr. Elton, Dr. Grant, and Edmund Bertram and Edward Ferris. But he is an outlier when considered in either of these companies because among the wits, he's not limited to, to or he's not inclined to trifle with female feelings while among the clergymen, he has a lively spirit and good humor. So he's got the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, I actually read a couple different articles that compared him to Henry Higgins, and they all seem to be like, <laughs> a lot of people compare him to Henry Higgins, but this is why he's not. <laughs> and that's like, yeah, everyone compares him because they're all saying that somebody has compared him, but it's all saying, no, he's not like that. So I just thought it was funny because there's a lot of articles like, a lot of people compare him, but he's not. And I was like, you're all saying the same thing. <laughs> okay, so we can infer some of his early life that his father is domineering, obviously. Um, since he is the second son, he probably always knew he would be the inferior son. And so probably didn't feel as repressed by his father because, you know, he didn't have to live up to the same standards. His brother, however, seems to be following in his father's selfish footsteps in his own way. And so Eleanor, after their mother died, would have only basically, Henry is the only person she could have turned to for comfort. Because she even says at one point, only one of her brothers is very affectionate. So we can assume Frederick was not wouldn't be there for her either i guess i don't know how much older he is frederick from eleanor i think we get her her age but i don't remember what it is i know that it, she's older than Catherine, but yeah i don't know how much it's older probably like 20 or 21 and that's what i was thinking frederick is older than henry he'd probably be like at least 27 so there's definitely a big age gap there he does have that one moment where he's like, oh, our father to Eleanor. So I imagine they have at least a little bit of a relationship with each other. 
so anyway, this relationship with his sister is probably what helped him develop some of his lady-pleasing traits, like his expertise in muslins and his pleasure in novels and in picturesque views. And yeah, even though the siblings may have already, before this, before their parents died, been like kindred spirits, Eleanor certainly would have encouraged Henry's interest in these areas. And he also would have developed this as being a clergyman because, you know, at least half of his parishioners are women and probably more than half of the actual church attendees. So, you know, he gets along well with women. He's always in the company of women and um, in the book too. So that was an interesting article. There's a lot more Mm -hmm. to it, but I just (laughs) summed it up. And then, um, okay, this is really cool. This is one of my favorite things to bring into a deep dive is like the real life person this could have been based on. So <laughs> I got this from an article or from a yeah website called Tilney's Trapdoors. And I really don't know how scholarly this article is, <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. Um, it was called, I think the website is called The Cult of Da Man, D-A Man. And the article is called the real henry tilney question mark and it's by the high priestess which made me go what i don't think you put your name on that in a scholarly paper but (laughs) (laughs) regardless i do i did read about this guy and other stuff but i just i mean she i assume it's a she the high priestess um seems to have gotten most of the story fairly correct (laughs) so in 1797 when jane and her sister Cassandra and their mother all went to Bath. 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 <laughs> there was another visitor to Bath at the time, and his name was Sidney Smith. And he would go on to be one of the most celebrated wits of his day. He was the tutor at that time to a Michael Hicks Beach. And the Hicks Beach family were related to the Bramstons of Oakley Hall in Hampshire, which was very near Steventon, where the Austins lived. So it's definitely possible that there were connections and they would have met up well there. Even without that connection, though, it's still entirely possible that him and Jane could have met at a ball because a young clergyman tutor would have been just the kind of gentleman the master of ceremonies would have paired up with a clergyman's daughter. I mean, perfect. (laughs) Jane Austen dancing with the wit of the day. (laughs) There's no real record that they ever met or even danced together, but you know, it's definitely a possibility because they were both there at the same time. He was described at the time as tall, pleasant looking, and extraordinarily amusing in a vein of humor peculiarly his own, kind of like Henry Tilney. <laughs> um, there are some great comparisons between the two. For example, Sidney Smith delighted in talking nonsense on serious subjects and in producing strings of ludicrous images to prove his point. Henry Tilney's comparison between dancing and marriage was very much in the same line as the kind of stuff that um, Sidney Smith used to do. Although in some ways he wasn't like Henry because he struggled with melancholia or I guess probably depression. And he was said to have found it difficult to get up in the morning. He could not bear dimly lit rooms. And so if she did take from Sidney to make Henry, she only took what was best about him. And at the time, he was still probably fairly young, so maybe not as, and not as famous, so maybe he hadn't quite gotten as morose. But, you know, depression is something that you live with, you know, I think most of your life, so. Uh, so, but he also may be based slightly on the character Henry de Villefort, de Villefort? 
from The Mysteries of Udolpho. Mm. He is the witty and charming young gentleman whose family befriends the heroine after she escapes the clutches of the evil Montoni. No ghost of these days would be so savage as to impose silence on you. Our ghosts are more civilized than to condemn a lady to a purgatory severer even than their own. Be it what it may. <laughs> I think that's a line from the character. There's like a better, more heroic character in that book, but this guy's apparently the funny one. <laughs> yeah. Funny one. Who comes in at the end. <laughs> and then I wrote down a, like a piece written by Sidney Smith called Definition of Nice Person. And you remember how Henry had that whole thing about being nice. So definition of a nice person. A nice person is neither too tall nor too short. Looks clean and cheerful and has no <laughs> prominent feature, makes no difficulties, is never misplaced, sits bodkin, is never foolishly affronted, and is void of affectations. A nice person helps you well at dinner, understands you, and is always gratefully received by young and old, Whig and Tory, grave and gay. There is something in the very air of a nice person which inspires you with confidence, makes you talk and talk without fear of malicious misrepresentation. You feel that you are reposing upon a nature which God has made kind and created for the benefit and happiness of society. It has the effect upon the mind which soft air and a fine climate has upon the body. A nice person is clear of little trumpery passions, acknowledges superiority, delights in talent, shelters humility, pardons adversity, forgives deficiency, respects all men's rights, never stops the bottle, is never long and never wrong. Always knows the day of the month, the name of everybody at the table, and never gives pain to any human being. If anybody is wanted for a party, a nice person is the first thought of. When the child is christened, when the daughter is married, all the joys of life are communicated to nice people. The hand of the dying man is always held out to a nice person. A nice person never knocks over wine or melted butter, does not tread upon the dog's foot or molest the family cat eats soup without noise, laughs in the right place, and has a watchful and attentive eye. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Henry and Sydney might have had the same feelings about the word nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so for astrology, I took the easy way out this week and just looked up Henry Tilney astrology and found two diametrically <laughs> opposing signs that people had put them as. <laughs> which is funny because these are actually two signs that my chart contains a lot of <laughs> but the first one which <laughs> i tend to think yeah probably is leo charming smart and the happiest at the center of attention henry tilney is a natural born <laughs> leo whether it's witty repartee that sometimes go over goes over sweet catherine's head or his gregarious enthusiasm for good muslin Henry has sass and self-confidence in spades. <laughs> I feel like he could be because, you know, yep, as a Leo, right. I fell in love with Catherine, so I don't see why he would <laughs> as a Leo. <laughs> but what is funny is that the other sign that was named for him is Aquarius. And if you look at a zodiac wheel, Aquarius and Leo are exactly opposite on the wheel. So they do have some similar traits, but a lot of their traits are like, opposite from each other they're like the counter it's like the yin and the yang kind of but i have aquarius rising and leo sun so you know i kind of understand that. <laughs> so aquarius 
Aquarians are at once some of the friendliest and most distant members of the Zodiac. Like Henry Tilney, there may, they may seem hot and cold to those who don't know them very well, but they really need their space every now and then. They are curious, intellectual individuals, and others often come to them for knowledge and advice. They are always interested in trying new things and teaching others about them. So I can see both of those, mm. even though they are kind of opposite. I would say if he is a Leo sun mm -hmm. and Aquarius rising, that would make his sun in his relationship sector of his chart, which means that that would be a big focus on his life. And being a uh, pastor, I would think, you know, relationships would be an important part, even if it's not like significant others, but. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so which one do you think? Which one seems more like Henry? I like the Leo. That seemed yeah. to be kind of spot yeah. on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think um, uh, Catherine would definitely see him as the sun, which Leo represents the sun in the horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say he's a Leo. Maybe he has Aquarius, Venus, or rising or something like that. I was looking at both the lists, and they had all like a whole bunch of characters. One of them is from astrologyofaustin.com. So I'm guessing there's a lot of uh, characters on there. Oh. <laughs> and... <laughs> I didn't agree with most of them. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so what about Harry Potter? Gryffindor? Yeah, I think Gryffindor. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. He's got a, I, we haven't quite gotten to it, but he definitely has a brave soul, you know, and he's definitely led yeah. by his heart, mm -hmm. I think, and his passions. <sighs> yes. Okay. Final thoughts. I mean, I feel like we kind of did it on our, Oh, at least I did on my favorite parts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm finding the end of the book to be more enjoyable to read, personally. I feel like because now we're getting into more like a real version of Catherine and not like this I like more fantastical one where she's having all these like grand ideas of who people are and what's going on and I feel like now that she's getting to see the world more for what it is and people for who they are, it seems like she is just becoming a more like a, I don't want to say like a better person, but yeah, just a more enjoyable more well character to read about too, even though I still enjoyed her before. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, oh, okay. Uh, well, I was going to say, um, it's funny. I've, I've never really liked these chapters. Um, when I've read the book before, because because there's uh, so much of it, it feels like Catherine is being embarrassed again and again, which I find very very painful. Yes. To read <laughs> I hate to be embarrassed, so mm -hmm. um, I I feel it pretty strongly um, when I'm reading about it. And I've always it's just made these these chapters be just kind of like oh, just get through them, get through them. But reading it with you guys this time. And it's been a while since I read the book, but listening to y'all's y'all's interpretation of it and and how much you're enjoying it, it's it's uh, changing my mind. <laughs> Changed my mind, I think. I hadn't uh, mm -hmm. I hadn't thought how well Henry shows to advantage here, and and what exactly Austin's doing besides embarrassing Catherine yeah. in these chapters. But so. it's kind of nice because yeah, it's been it's been it's like she's embarrassing her. She embarrassed. She's embarrassed for herself. But it's not like anyone is shaming mm -hmm. her, you know, which feels nice. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I can see that now. But like, you know, 20 years oh, ago yeah. or whatever, last time, whatever it was, last time I read it, it's like, 
oh, like that's all I could remember was just sort of that pain. And now it's like, oh, wait, there's more to it than that. And yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff here too. So I've been enjoying it a lot. Plus, as I get older, I don't care as much about embarrassment. I'm like, nothing is embarrassing. Everyone has to do this stuff. (laughs) Um, I would say, as I was reading it this time, I was thinking, is it possible that this is my favorite book? (laughs) I have a real strong tendency, though, to love whatever I'm currently reading the best or currently watching. Like, whenever I watch Doctor Who, if I, like, go through a marathon of the whole thing, I really whichever doctor I'm currently in the middle of, it's like, that's my favorite one. You're definitely my favorite. (laughs) But reading this one with you guys, I've especially these chapters felt like I love this book so much. I don't think I ever gave it this close a read and, you know, just it's something about slowing down and just like really doing each chapter. It's really been nice. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I said, I just fell in love with everyone in this chapter. <laughs> love Catherine, love Henry, <laughs> love Eleanor, even though she's not in it that much. I'm afraid Eleanor is going to be the one to get the short shrift on the deep dives for this particular read through, but we do have a couple of adaptations left, so we'll definitely get to her one day. I'm surprised by how many characters we did get through. I was like, no, we're not going to have any characters left for her. <laughs> But yeah, I, I love it. Was there anything else? Did you both say yours? Um, yeah, I think the only, last thing I want to say is what I really enjoy about the kind of like, it's almost like it's a, almost like a coming of age kind of novel for Catherine um, in a, like a, I would say more like minute way because it's not like she's, we're not seeing her over the years or anything like that. It's more just like a couple months and stuff. I just like how the thing, the hard thing she has to go through that aren't really that hard, but that make her grow up like feeling humiliated and feeling embarrassed and all that stuff is stuff that she kind of brings on and does to herself. Like no one else in the book besides maybe Isabella, but it's just more her just being a bad friend. But no one else in the book like makes her feel bad for being, having these kind of like dramatic and fantastical ideas of the world. And she kind of just makes herself feel bad and they're just kind of like, there to support her no one ever makes her feel bad for kind of being who she is yeah I mean she's really lucked out in who she's spending time with because the Tilneys have helped a lot I mean the Thorpes were great too at the beginning because she didn't know anybody and she was just like desperate for a friend and Isabella was happy to fill that role and uh you know luckily now with the Tilneys they're very understanding and I feel like yeah she's just so sweet and naive and loving that they just can't help it. And they're really nice people too, even though they did have a horrible father. <laughs> I mean, not as bad and villainous as he might have been, but he still seems like, ugh, I wouldn't want to grow up with that. <laughs> like a drag. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, only one more to go. Should we go to recommendations? Sounds good. Yeah. Sure. You guys prepared? Because I've already forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can go first yeah, if you can. want. Go ahead. Um, okay, so I'm, my recommendation, it's not going to necessarily be like a piece of media today. It's more going to be um, 
kind of in touch with what's been going on the past couple of days. I just kind of wanted to plug some of the fundraisers and kind of like these different kind of nonprofits that are helping with the social justice and everything that's going on right now. So the first thing I want to plug is the George Floyd Memorial Fund, which is on GoFundMe. And it's kind of helped um, to pay for funeral services for him, which I think they've already met, but I think the extra funds are being donated to the um, protests and everything else that is kind of counteracting the police right now. Um, and also the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which I made a donation to yesterday. It's super easy on their website. You can do it through PayPal or directly through your credit card. And it helps, I think they just, they bail people out of jail who have um, low bails, like for protesting and stuff. But right now they're focusing on uh, protesters who are being arrested and um, a lot of the journalists who are being arrested too, like we saw on CNN. And the Justice for Ahmaud Aubrey Foundation um, fundraiser, which is on GoFundMe, and the Justice for Breonna Taylor petition and fundraiser, and the fundraisers on, or the petitions on change.org. Um, so if you have the time, have the money, uh, donate, fill those out and kind of just do what you can. Yeah, those are great um, recommendations. Thanks, Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really remember what mine was, but I do know that, um, <laughs> you know, HBO Max just started. And it's got all of the Studio mm -hmm. Ghibli movies on it, which are some of my favorites <laughs> of all time. Yeah. And so I will recommend Spirited Away because it was the first one I ever discovered and it's what made me have to own them all. I mean, I own them all, but I love it when everything is in one place and a streaming service too. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend Spirited <laughs> Away. Uh, yeah. So. Cool. Good recommendation. And yeah, I have a piece of media to recommend, but um, I'll put that at the end. Before that, I wanted to, I, I felt similarly to you, Christian. It's hard not to feel moved by all that's going on. And so mine's kind of a vague recommendation, but since we get a lot of focus on people acting poorly, <laughs> to put it mildly, just being awful to each other in all kinds of ways, um, I kind of wanted to plug a couple things I've seen today that uh, were people being good humans. To, uh, in general and to each other and what people you know should be doing and the first was I watched on Facebook um, some of the pastors in the Bay Area here um, that belong to our our denomination which is called Converge they had gotten together it's it's I don't know if you guys know but the Bay Area is like really diverse and we have so one of the pastors is from Antioch which is close to Oakland one of the ones is one of the pastors was I think from Oakland proper um, and then somebody here in San Jose and, and I don't know where the other guy was from, but he apparently has a pretty diverse congregation. Anyway, before then we're all talking about what's been going on and talking about reconciliation and, and things like that and how to start conversations with people and how to, you know, advocate and, you know, how to just seek common ground you know, with people coming from different perspectives. So that was really good to, to get to experience. And then the other thing was we watched the SpaceX launch. Oh. And um, mm -hmm. that was super fun. Because, <laughs> I mean, just 
the amazing work and science that went into that and and everything it was it was exciting to watch last launches that i remember watching were the space shuttles <laughs> things have changed a lot since then <laughs> so it was super cool yeah, people around here were very excited about the launch for the past week <laughs> since it kind of got delayed yeah, the first yeah. time <laughs> yeah yeah i'll bet the boys were like can we see it can we see it and we're like can't see it from here sorry so yeah, so those those were cool, and and I wanted to sort of promote that. But something that's a little bit less vague, but also very cool, um, is I don't know if you guys have seen, but um, Taika Waititi is doing a read through of James and the Giant Peach. I think I did hear with, about that. Um, yeah, with uh, various celebrities, and I don't want to say who all they are because that's part of the fun <laughs> is like finding out who's coming on. But yeah, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it's free. They're collecting donations for partners and help. And the donations are being matched by, I think, the Roald Dahl Estate or Roald Dahl something. But yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. Where do you find that? It's so good. I don't know. Charles <laughs> found it. Um, <laughs> he found it. He turned it on. And I was like, what is, is this? Or? And that's exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And they're, all, they're like actors. They're almost all actors. So... They do a really good job reading all the different voices. That sounds things. awesome. It's really fun. Highly, highly <laughs> recommend that. So. I feel like my recommendation paled in comparison to y'all's, but I was thinking <laughs> as I was reading the book today, um, too bad I can't recommend this book that we're reading right now because honestly, it's <laughs> the only thing that's made me like laugh and feel good in the past two days. And I was like, maybe the fact that I'm crying yeah. at this book might have more to do with the outside world, but... <laughs> It was like delightful to be <laughs> amused by Catherine for a while. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, I um. Yeah. Definitely. Totally meant to do a twin Pe or a twin peaks, a Jane Austen tarot card. I'm totally <laughs> forgot. Tara. I was thinking I might do that later tonight on Twitter again. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this one came out. This is the Queen of Spades, which is swords. I should look her up because they don't have the names of the characters but i'm sure who would the queen of who would you guess is the queen of swords in jane austen that would be intellectual queen oh, definitely be one of the major characters probably emma mm, i think she's the queen of earth just because that's more money oh oh okay where are you intellectual oh, who else is intellectual lizzie bennett smart that's a good point yeah Mary Crawford. Anne Elliot. Oh. Smart and insightful. She values a good conversation yeah. more than anything. So let's all channel some Anne Elliot this week. <laughs> 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 and okay, what else? Contact. If you would like to participate in some of our tarot card drawings, you can find us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, um, Maya does these every once in a while on our Twitter at Manners Badness, um, and you can interact uh, when she posts those, or you can uh, directly DM us. Yeah, if you just want me to um, pull, pull your card anytime, at... just DM me. I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our uh, Instagram is at Manners of Madness Pod. Our Gmail is uh, Manners of Madness at gmail.com. And our website is Manners of Madness.com. And you can leave us a voice yes. message. And next week, we are doing the finale of Twin Peaks. We've got a very special guest joining us. 
And I mean, all that's left for Northanger Abbey is what's left. <laughs> We've only got one more section. <laughs> I guess it's 28 through, I don't even know how many chapters. Uh, 31, 28 through 31. We get my favorite part of any Jane Austen book, which is the very ending when she wraps it all up. I love those parts. <laughs> <laughs> and we definitely have um, some more drama to come. So I am so excited for it in the next one. Yeah. We'll all have to bring a glass of wine Me so we can, can celebrate together. <laughs> 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 and write us. Uh, we'd love for you guys to write us and tell us how you felt with this read-along. If you've been reading along with us, have you had any new revelations this time? Or is this your first time reading through? Uh, what do you think of Catherine? Are you as in love with her as I am? <laughs> or Henry? <laughs> do you? I know a lot of people don't, actually don't like Henry. So it'd be interesting to hear somebody else's viewpoint on that. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Good night. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>